Yeah, so it's funny. I mean, because like when I was in college, you know, she tell me, I'm like, well, what, you know, she, what do your family do? Oh, they work in communications. My mom's a teacher, and her, and she's like, oh, what is yours? And, you know, they paraglide pilots, and I thought, like, what? So they're unemployed. Words there from Mr. Nick Grease uh, from last week's podcast. If you missed that one, it's fantastic, super inspiring to hear where Nick has come from and where he's going. I just got back from Iran, uh, but we had a great conversation. Uh, you'll find it at thecloudbasemayhem.com. Uh, this week, I just got off the phone last night, a uh, Skype conversation with the uh, search project wizard and Red Bull athlete and travel traveler extraordinaire, uh, amazing pilot, Tom Dorlado from Belgium. Uh, this guy has the life uh, that all pilots in the world, I'm sure, uh, very much envy, including myself. Uh, he has been around the world, uh, across Africa, French Polynesia, uh, all over the Himalayas. He's flown with the greatest of the greats. Uh, he's competed in the X-Alps five times. He was the mastermind behind the search project uh, with Volkswagen and Anorak and Red Bull. Uh, he's a Red Bull athlete, of course. Um, Tom and I have been friends for quite a long time. Uh, we get to know each other a little bit better in this year's uh, X-Alps and the 2015 X-Alps this July. Unfortunately, that race came to an end for him when he broke his foot, uh, crashing off a launch. Uh, in Italy, which was very near where he had a major injury during the Adriatic Circle Expedition with Paul Guschelbauer, where he broke his back, uh, got into some pretty nasty air and landing and, and uh, kind of got unlucky. Um, he's had a couple other accidents uh, in his long career that started when he, he learned how to fly when he was 15 years old. He's now 30, so he's spent half of his life underneath the wing. And we go deep into all kinds of stuff. Got some great questions uh, on a post I put out on Facebook before the talk uh, from some of our fans and, and interested parties that wanted to hear about all kinds of things about from sponsorship to uh, how, how he's uh, approached risk and progression and how he's come back from these uh, accidents mentally as well as physically. Uh, anyway, it's a fantastic conversation, uh, super inspired by this guy. Uh, he's incredibly articulate and clearly passionate about what we all love. So without further ado, Tom Sidorlo. Tom, good morning. How are you? Hey, good morning. Good, good, and you? I guess it's not really the morning for you. It's it's morning for me, but you're already well into your day over there in Europe. But it's nice to uh, sit down with you. I wish we could have done this. We we tried a little bit to do this at the start of the X Alps, but that was just a little bit too much chaos for me. I couldn't get my act together. True, true. Yeah, no, but thank thank you for for waking up so early. <laughs> oh no, it's it's my pleasure. It's a real a real honor and a pleasure for me to sit down with you. Um, I've got a whole bunch of questions. You know, I posted a thing on on Facebook yesterday and and asked you know if our fans if they had any questions for you and they they've got okay. some great ones. But I just was uh, reading before we got online. I was reading on your website, you know, your bio and all the amazing things you've done. I was watching your Search Projects trailer uh, for the millionth time. God, that film is beautiful and I'll have that up on, on my site when, when this goes live but um, I, I'd love to just rewind the clock a little bit you're, you're still a very young guy but you've been at this sport a long time you got started when you were 15 yeah I started really early I was uh, I was actually in a boarding school here in Belgium and a friend of mine was flying paragliding and one day he came with his glider at, uh, at school and I started there and uh, since then I, I never stopped I was uh, actually 
been only paragliding for the last 15 years, which is actually half of my life now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm 30, so yeah, no, it's uh, it's been a long ride. I mean, it's uh, it's so many memories and and so many good and, and and difficult moments also. But uh, yeah, it's been a really cool ride, really well, nice. And I, I I definitely want to talk about some of those difficult moments. I know you've had a a, a tough Imagine. year, but. Uh, the, you know, I'd, I'd love to just find out, you know, because you got started, uh, I mean, how do you go from being 15 and learning how to paraglide to becoming, you know, a Red Bull athlete? And, and was this your fifth X-Alps, the, this 2015 yeah. X-Alps? I yeah, mean, that's yeah. getting started really young. So I'd love to just find, you know, I, I didn't discover paragliding until I was well into my 30s. Um, mm-hmm. I'd love to just find out how that progression happened. Well, I mean, to be to be honest, I started quite um yeah, I started young but I didn't have a car I couldn't go to the flying places and you know Belgium is a is a flat flat country we don't have many mountains out here so um but I but I started uh, university and at the same time I didn't go I didn't go to class too much you know and uh, I I was always looking at the at the weather and looking at the sky and uh, with some of my friends we were like so motivated that every doable like every kind of a good day we would be out there and, and trying to fly as much as possible but still it was not enough so um, I started to think about moving down to Spain and uh, when I was 20 I think 22 years old um, I had been flying for seven years already and my level was pretty good I was going to the Belgium championship and I was flying a, a D glider already and and uh, I did my first X-Alps no I think I was 21 yeah I was 21 when I did my first X-Alps uh, I was a little bit coming from nowhere, you know, being honest with you, it was like, uh, yeah, this guy is coming from Belgium, flatlands, he didn't, I didn't know much about the Alps, um, hmm. but still, I, I had a pretty good race, I was I was in the top 10th most of the of the race, and then I, I had a small crash and I broke my hand, it was almost nothing, but still I had to, to cancel and, and leave the race, but it was, it was a really cool, really good time, and then I, I started to think, okay, now if I want to get to the next level, I, I need to fly more. So I moved down to Spain, and I went to live in uh, Granada, in south of Spain, in Andalusia. And that was a really good move, because actually there I met uh, Ramon Morias, who is a uh, three-times Paramotor World Champion, and Raul Rodriguez, who was at the time, uh, many times, uh, acrobatic world champion. He's a legend. Mm. And so for me, it was a, a great opportunity to learn with the best, you know. And so I, I started to spend a lot of time to, yeah, I was with Ramon almost every weekend, uh, almost every day actually, flying with him, helping him out with his competitions, uh, preparing the gear with him. Um, he was he really told, told me a lot and, and helped me to learn uh, flying paramotor, but also paragliding. And, and that's really when I started to get good at it. Um, and then came the first small, um, the first full, small expeditions. I, I did a trip from Brussels to Istanbul. It was a three thousand kilometer trip with the paramotor. Um, were you were you already sponsored at this point? I was no. I had a really good contact with Red Bull. Okay. Um, since the Exiles and in Belgium, we didn't have many flying men. You know, like yeah. and and I was I was kind of uh, pushing, and it was the time when um, Red Bull kind of liked to do. What we now call the um, guerrilla style things, you know, it was uh, right. it's not always. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so I remember one time I, I flew from the top of Machu Picchu in Peru, mm. and I got arrested for that. And they kind of helped me to get out of the of, of jail, and and we made good friend after that. Red Bull said, hey, "It's a cool story. Can you write something for us for the website?" And that's pretty much how we got in contact. Interesting. Um, oh wow! Yeah. It, it, 
it's always, it's always interesting to end up in jail. You know, my, my, my partner for a long time who you know, Jody McDonald, she, uh, yeah. you know, she's over in Africa doing a big shoot for Leica right now, and her goal was to get arrested. She said, you know, okay. no, no serious photographer can, can ever claim they're a photographer if they haven't been in jail. <laughs> yeah, I've, been, I've been in jail many times, too many times. Actually. Yeah, that's so have I, one, buddy. <laughs> one time in Peru, and then I think only in, in Ethiopia, when we crossed Africa with the search team, we were arrested only in Ethiopia five times uh, and oh uh, so and, and sometimes it was really serious one day we flew above meter days and we didn't know and they we got arrested it was really nasty but um so yeah that's that's how i got in contact with rebel and at the time you know i was i was studying communication so i knew a bit about editing about photography about uh, writing a cool story and so it was the two things at the same time you know on one side i was i was i, I think good at what I was doing flying but also I could uh, tell stories and and do it well and I was it's it's not only about competition and it's not about only about results but it's also about telling the story and coming back with cool footage and and trying to to build a community so I, I didn't know that about your background then because one of the questions I wanted to ask I mean of course you've been competing in the XOPS but I didn't know you were a competition pilot as well I, I figured that was something uh, I, I you know I haven't I only got into competitions in 2012 and uh, you know I remember seeing you you and Horatio did some acro at the start of the super final in Colombia a couple years ago yeah, but yeah. but then you didn't compete in it so you you used to compete in, in competitions yeah but not in I didn't go far like I, I didn't really I liked the format, but it's still I, I needed more freedom, you know. And so I, I really love to go to the Belgium Championship. I did the British Championship, the French Championship, competition like that, you know, because I have friends and, and it's cool. But many times I found myself doing like uh, para waiting and, and standing there and, and waiting for good weather. And also days that they would say, yeah, today we have to fly this direction and do this and that. And I had other plans or other ideas. And so it's for me, it was I, I didn't really get into it you know I, I i like it and i and i was pushing and doing some results i think but but still it was not my thing so um when i started to do adventures and and bivouac flying and start to cover distance with the paraglider or hiking or the the x-out format is much more my thing i would say the rebel x-out is really my my yeah the the way i like to practice mm. um and if if there is a, a competition i still want to do it's the 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 x-outs but uh I wouldn't go for PwC. I mean, I mean, I think it's great, and it's the Formula One, you know, and those guys fly really well. I, I really, when I look at it, I, I love it. But uh, for example, now I've been following the guys who are in India, and they haven't been flying for four days, and it's, you know, I, I don't know. It's not really. I like to move around and and choose my own path, kind of. Not I think you like so, that it's too. It's quite constrained, isn't it? By in the mm. in the competitions. I mean, I think you. Um, I, I I got into competitions because everybody kept telling me that you know that's how you learn and you you know you get more from a week in a competition than uh, a year year of flying. And I think that's true. You know, I but I think you have to have, um, you have to have a really smart approach to competitions. I, I don't know if you were following, but we just returned from the mm. the nationals and the Sierras, and you know the first two days there were two major major accidents both of them uh were lucky in, in that the pilots survived uh but they were both very very broken and, and i mean i think okay. that that you know you you have to approach them in the right way you know they can be very dangerous of course the xops is even more dangerous uh, obviously mm -hmm. but but um anyway so you you did this long paramotor trip to istanbul from your home from belgium yeah that's a long that was ways. Really, that was really cool we we had no budget at all i mean it was it was the first very small deal i made with red bull and they said okay tom we, we like your idea and we will we will help you out 
and so they helped us to pay the, the gasoline and uh, <laughs> you know the basics but uh, it was really a surviving uh, trip we were sleeping outside and and you know we would land just next to the gas station we filled the tank we didn't have support or anything you know and we covered 3,000 kilometer in a month or something like that it was Jeez. really we, we crossed the Alps and we yeah, and, and I, I don't. In the paramotor, we're doing great. I mean, we they survived the whole way, and we we got arrested in Greece because we landed in a minefield. Because um, <laughs> you know, when you in Turkey, uh, you need a visa to to get in Turkey. You you need sure. a stamp on your passport. So we had to land the the rest of the way. We just crossed the borders without asking anyone. But um, so we landed there, and we landed just in a in a minefield, and uh, we got arrested, of course. And it was it was the whole story was pretty pretty crazy. It was another arrest, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and but then they, they they were really at the end. They were really friendly. We we got lucky. We met one one of the military guy was a paragliding pilot so he kind of uh, fixed everything for us and we we could keep going but it was great we, we crossed the border walking and we took off again and flew all the way to to the sea to to istanbul um that was the first let's say big trip and then i i started to think okay this is i mean it's it's cool it's uh, we really enjoy doing this and there is a way that we can talk about it uh you know share it as much as possible with videos with photos with uh um, you know, small small stories on the magazines and stuff, and we started to think that maybe we could make a living out of it. You know, mm. uh, and when you say we, who's your who who are your um, team? At the, at the time, I was flying with a friend. It's called Maxim. Um, yep. But but now, I mean, slowly, slowly, we start to work with a photographer and then a cameraman, and then uh, Horacio Lorenz, of course, is, is one of my best friend now, and we fly a lot together. Mm-hmm. And um, this is really when we realize, okay, we we could survive out of paragliding, and this is what we want to do. And so the first five years were were like that, like really pushing and trying to find cool angles and. Most of it, you know, basically we would we were trying to have as much fun as possible and fly as much as possible and and share as much as possible and um, and yeah, I think now we we kind of uh, we reached a point where I can say I, I'm making a living out of paragliding. Um, it's it was not my main goal, you know, but mm-hmm. but uh, the good news is that now we can keep on pushing and you know imagine bigger trip, uh, organize bigger expedition, and it's uh, it's really cool. It's a, it's a lot of fun. This is kind of a, your your job now is just to dream big. I mean, I think you have probably the most enviable job in 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 paragliding, and I, I like my job. But yeah, you're you're really setting a, an incredibly high standard. It's been impressive to watch, Tom. Fantastic stuff. If you if you could, if you could like, this is kind of an ethereal question, um, and maybe you've already even answered it, but. What is it about paragliding that just has you so wrapped up? And is are you in are are you still as passionate today as you were when you first started flying at fifteen? You know, it's a difficult question. Like, um, I I have to yeah, being honest with you, like I I don't know. I think for me, the the very first flight I had was the best yeah, <laughs> of my that's life. The best for everybody. Um, yeah, I think so. And but but then you know, it's it's so much. It's so much more than flying. Um, flying is is the the part of the iceberg, you know, that you see, you can see, but the rest is is uh, the cultural thing, you know, discovering a new country, a new culture, um, meeting people, you know, the whole community is amazing. Also, it's so friendly, and I I really love to spend time with other pilots, and um, and there is so much to do, and I, I would say like if you you fly in New Zealand, it wouldn't be the same that flying in France or flying in Patagonia or flying in South Africa. So it's kind of a a different sport every time with 
different goals and if if i do get a little bit tired of cross country then i go more acro and then if i do want to come back to long distance or bivouac i, I and i think it's uh, it's changing so much and all the time we have different uh, approach and so i'm still not tired about it and when i crashed last year i was really it came to my mind people were saying okay he's gonna stop flying now and he's gonna get a, a real job <laughs> and things like that <laughs> and it it i it never crossed my, crossed my mind. Like really, from the moment I crashed, I only thought about coming back and playing again. And I'm, I'm so in love with it. And I think I made this choice 15 years ago. I, I decided to make my, you know, my life was going to be all around paragliding. But having said that, I don't know. Maybe in five years, I have different uh, views, and I, I want to do something else. So you know a different approach i think you you know more about that because you you've been sailing for 13 years and then now you're flying and maybe you go back to something else i think you just have to follow your art at, at the end you know it's uh, do what you enjoy and as long as you enjoy and as long as you're passionate about it you will have energy to share to to, to push and to keep going but if one day i wake up and i'm sick of it or tired of it then i'll just uh do something else, I think. But uh, cross but, that cross that bridge when you get to it. Yeah, I think you. Yeah, because also, I mean, I had this discussion with Brad Sander um, a few years ago in Pakistan, and he, he, he talked. He said to me, you know, um, I don't embrace the conditions anymore. I don't, mm. uh, I don't like it so much. And before, I don't feel so motivated. And it's also when it gets dangerous because, um, you know, we're always pushing a little bit higher, a little bit further, a little bit faster, a little bit closer to the walls. Uh, but you have to be 100% if you do that. And if, you, if you're if you not at 100% or if you're not fully motivated, it, it can even get dangerous, I think. So it's... Um, this is yep. something I really wanted to dive into you, and it's 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 a great uh, it's a great bridge talking about Brad Sanders. You know, uh, he was one of my partners when we did the the Sierra trip, the the Sierra yeah. baby, and he crashed really badly the the very first day. And uh, you know, it was a uh, it was it, you know I've 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 seen qu- I've had quite a few friends that have had uh, really bad accidents like that. Where, um, in fact, one of the questions that came through on Facebook yesterday when I put out that I was going to be talking to you. Um, um, I think Miles. No, let's see. Let me just find it because it was it was um, it was a really good question. Um, yeah, Miles Connolly wanted to know like the best flying choices you've made versus the worst. Um, and, and you know I, that was one of those where you could see that Brad was you know seventy percent. He was flying scared mm-hmm. and and uh, he just wasn't all there and, and really yeah. questioning everything. You could see it in his eyes. And I I've known quite a few people who have. Um, you know, have have been like that when they're when they're they're trying to yeah. get back in the game. They're trying to get back on top, or where they even where they were. I, I know, and James Bradley is a good friend of mine, and he had a, a question for you as well in regards to this. He had a couple scary moments at the uh, at the Swiss. Uh, I think it was a Swiss league event or maybe on a Swiss nationals mm-hmm. this summer. Uh, he threw his reserve okay. one day and kind of had a crash another day. And he was out at the Sierras with us and was really struggling mentally. And so he wanted me to ask you just how you, you know, how do you come back from, from a, a broken back uh, yeah. mentally? Because I, you know, in seeing, in seeing these other accidents, you know, the, from, from an outsider's perspective or at least with Brad, you know, we all talked about it a lot afterwards. You know, we had 18 mm-hmm. days of that trip to go. He crashed on the very first day. 
and and we all you know the consensus was well that he shouldn't he just shouldn't have been in the air you really need yeah. to recognize these times where you aren't on your on your game and to recover that game i think people go about it in different ways but i'd love to know mm. i'd love to find out how you went about it because you that was yep. a major accident I think you have to be really honest with yourself and and just accept the fact that it it will take time, you know. And um, it's not that you crash and then the next day it's oh it's all good, it's like nothing happened. Um, of course, you're. It's I always compare it to you know when you have a big party and you and you get drunk and you drink a lot of vodka, and then the next morning you smell uh, you you have the smell of vodka and you you will never take a drink, you know. And in your brain is saying no, you know. It's like no, <laughs> don't do that again. Um, and it's it's a little bit the same, you know. When when I crashed, I broke my back, I, I broke many bones, and um, I stayed for weeks in hospitals and stuff. But uh, but since the day I crashed, I really wanted to go back and and to finish this Adriatic Circle trip that I started with Paul Schulbauer. Mm-hmm. And when we came back a year after, like maybe eight months later, we we arrived at the site of the crash. And I look at this tree and I thought, well, still there is a, a thousand kilometer to go. Um, and I did. I didn't want to go. Like really, my old body was saying, "No, why? Is it, are you stupid or what? You know, why do you come back?" Um, but at the same time, a part of me wanted to overcome this fear, and and uh, and I, you know, I cannot turn back. You know, it's I have to go all the way. And Paul was really, um, really good to me. Like he said, "I know we take our time, slowly, slowly, one day after the other. Um, if you don't like it, we land." And a day later or two days later I was I was back at my best level like I was I was not thinking about it anymore I think you have to get back on the horse you know but was this, um, was this something um would you say that you you know you had a, a program I, I know in, in one of your bios it mentioned that you had a coach do you still have a coach yeah yeah, yeah I do okay. and, and I think uh, yeah when I when I crashed and I came back last year for example I I decided I started to fly again in Colombia because you know Valle de Bravo and Holdanillo yeah. and stuff, it's uh, it's the it's the perfect place to come back because the thermal is smooth. Uh, it's not big mountains. You usually don't get strong wind. It's flyable every day. You get lots of flying hours. And so I went back to the mountains with um, with a sea glider. Here um, I don't have problems flying with sea gliders. You know they're great. They're doing they're, they're doing amazing gliders now. So. Mm. I, I flew with that, and I, we crossed the whole um, the whole country. We did the Travesia del Coca, um, which was uh, it is not huge, it was uh, four four hundred four hundred fifty kilometers or something like that. But it was great to come back to it and fly there and get lots of flying hours. But really, after two or three days, I was I was back. Um, it was not. It's not that now when it gets stressful, I get uh, I get I block or anything like that. I, I really I feel great when I fly and I. I just the thing is, and and that's really hard to say. But uh, when I crashed, I usually I always used to I used to say that if you crash, it's because you made a mistake somewhere, you know. Mm. And uh, it can be because you were tired, or you're not flying with the right gear, or um, you're stressed, or whatever. You're flying on in bad conditions. But that day, really, it was okay. The wind was strong, but it was nothing extreme. And I I came to the ground like I was flying down above a huge field. There was no obstacles, no nothing. And Paul was flying just in front of me, and nothing happened. He landed, and when I came, I got a turbulence, and I and I crashed. And it's now I kind of have to live with that, like with the fact that paragliding is actually dangerous. There we is, know that but there is that uncontrolled aspect. It was there, yeah. I mean, even if I if I I think that I could have been more focused, maybe, or I could have chosen 
maybe a, a safer place to land or I could have land higher in altitude and stuff. Um, but there is this point where you're just going down, there's no conditions anymore, the wind is strong and it's just, okay, you're just playing with your luck, you know, kind of. Mm. Um, and it happens to everyone and I, and I think now I, I have to, when I go flying, I know there is a big risk or there is a risk to get hurt, but uh, either you accept it or you go home and, and I, I decided to accept it because the, the, my whole, um, you know, everything I love is out there, you know, mm. so it's, uh, it would be impossible for me to renounce and say, okay, no, I, I stopped flying because of the dangers. I just have to do it with more, uh, I have to be as careful as I can and, uh, you know, and that's it. Um, I think we have to do it, you know, a, I think we have to be, re- like you said, I, I liked your advice that you have to be really honest with yourself and the very first episode uh, of, of this podcast uh, was a recording actually that it wasn't meant for a podcast. We sat down with Bill Belcourt, who's kind of our, he's our Yoda over here. You know, he's, uh-huh. he's kind of everybody's mentor. He's been at the game a long time and, and, and he has nice. this concept of, he calls it bringing it, you know, where you, you know, to fly cross country, anytime you're, you're really pushing it or really going for distance or going for a win in a race, you very often have to put your glider in a, in a bad place. And, yeah. and if you're not mentally prepared to do that, you just shouldn't be in the air that day. That's just not, you know, because I, I, I have very few big flights that have been mellow the whole way, you know, yeah, and, exactly. and especially in a place like the Alps, when I was training, you know, this, this spring for the X-Ops I was trying to, to fly the course and you and I actually got quite close together when, mm-hmm. when you yeah. were finishing your Adriatic circle uh, and it was actually near uh, it, near your crash I was I was doing yeah. a big triangle from from Mornera and Bellinzona and it was quite a strong north fern day and I, I flew up to Domodossola and then uh, tried to get over the Simplon and it was too strong there and I backed out and I and I went up to the Newfoundland and it was just smooth and beautiful and it was actually the day that Peter Kleinman set the record from Mornera was just incredibly lovely and I flew instead of flying back to Mornera I really wanted to check out what we call the big C uh, you know towards Mm -hmm. the Arolo Pass and back down to Bellinzona and so I flew over the pass and it was lovely 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 until I got to the Arolo and then, (laughs) then it was just that's unbelievable area. you know yeah the north fern was was dumping into there and you know it it, it it literally from you know a class one flight uh to just like fighting for my life and and uh, mm. you know and when that happens you just have to t- you have to bring it you have to be you know yeah. you have to it, it that will happen if you're going to paraglide and you I have think to go people, and fight yeah it's, you have to fight I, very often i look at my letter and i say is that all you have like you yes. know and I'm, in fighting mode and I, I think for that like the best advice I could give to any pilot is to is to fly a little bit of acrobatic yeah. because it's uh, I, I've learned so much from Horacio like really it's um, it's now that I, if I do have to stall my letters or to do anything or if I'm twisted or things like that I'm so much more um, concentrated and, and so much more uh, focused uh, than before. Before, I just lose my mind and, and, and I wouldn't know what to do. But uh, So acrobatic is really good really good for that. And it, I totally agree with what you say. It's also when we fly in, in Pakistan, for example, is where you have to be on the fighting mode. And what I always say to pilots who kind of hesitate and are not really sure is I say, if there is a doubt, there is no doubt. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like if you if really you think advice. you shouldn't fly, then you shouldn't fly. You know, or if you and it's very simple. But uh, 
I think it's uh, it's the basic, and uh, we are at, at the end. We're just playing with our lives from time to time, and it's uh, if you have a bad feeling, you should listen to your intuition and and just stay down, and no problem with that. And the problem is with the group and the team spirit, and people would be pushing and say, "Hey, come on, man, don't be uh, don't be a pussy, <laughs> just go for it." And no, actually, we should respect. I mean, I have a lot of respect for those guys who, for example, I'm thinking about Michael Gebert, who is a really good friend. I was flying with him the day he decided to stop the x you know, mm. uh, this year. And I, we were flying together, and he was really nasty. He was very turbulent. Yeah. And I, I have to say, I was kind of enjoying it. And, and I think it's a mixture of we are really tired, we we know we can fly those conditions, the glider is safe, so I was having a good time, but I could tell he was not having a good time, and he was he, he couldn't see the point anymore of pushing so much and so hard and taking so many risks, so much risk, to just be maybe getting to the top 10, or, you know, mm. it didn't make sense to him, so he, he turned, he really, we were flying together, and he turned around and went straight down to the valley. Yeah, and, uh, I, I remember that. I remember that day. I was, I was, uh, you know, he he had caught up with me at the. Uh, I had a couple of really bad days and fell off the front, and and he caught up to me near Saint Moritz uh, the night before, yeah. and then and then the next day, uh, you know, we flew into that pea soup down near Chiavenna, and yeah. I remember watching his track log where he just said, you know what, fuck this, I've had enough, and and I I understood it because that was a hard section to get through. I was, that was a low point for me as well, where it was just like, my God, this is. Just <laughs> yeah, and you know I, what? I, what I really liked is that we we had this conversation, and he called me and said, "What do you think?" And this and that, and we are spon- we we have the same sponsor, you know. And so he called Gradient, and I know that Andres from Gradient said, "Man, don't worry. Um, there's nothing to prove. You know, the yeah. most important is yet that you." You come out uh, in one piece, and you know, and so I, I really appreciate that. It's it was the same when I crashed. You know, when you crash, you think, okay, now everyone's gonna let me down. You know, <laughs> because I crashed and this and that. And and at the end, it was so good to see that the sponsor were still there, were still supporting a lot. You know, and I've heard from Red Bull or Volkswagen or Garmin, don't worry, get back on your feet, take your time, as long sure, as it needs. You know, and it's that's the for you and I, it's the basic. You know, but but also. When we have been pushing so much, I never stopped for the last 10 years. It was always an expedition from one project to the other. It was good to hear that you don't have to be at 100% all the time, you know. Um, you compare, can sometimes rest and, yeah. Yeah. Compare the accident uh, with your back and your wrist in the X-Alps. What happened? And, you know, because you and I haven't had a chance to talk except by a couple quick notes yeah. uh, via Facebook. What, what happened with that accident, the second one? That this this time um, it was I have to say yeah it, it was a mistake I made a mistake there I was uh, we were flying with Ferdi and we we were in a pretty good position um, there was a I was a about really an good... hour behind you by the way that day yeah I was yeah just coming we up always... to that cool <laughs> yeah <laughs> no we had had a very good day uh, really flying in in fighting mode and really having a good time and then we decided to not to walk too much because we had a good mountain a good flying site uh, nearby so we had a good night i had a good breakfast i was really fit and you know you can see in the exhales that the top 10 at the beginning it's like um people pushing a lot getting really tired and for me i work kind of a i'm kind of a diesel uh motor you know i start slow and then try to get back into it and um it was happening at the mo- at that time i was really feeling strong and stuff so it was good but uh, anyway i we decided to we landed there um because we did a big transition and, and we arrived too low so we landed there with Ferdi. we walked back up to the to the mountain and then um it was 
we had we could have taken off from one place, but it was not the best place. It, there were some cables below, um, a few trees and stuff. So we started to climb a little bit higher uh, from the coal. And there it was really steep, like really, really steep. And Feldy took off first and he did it perfectly. I really felt, okay, that's that's not, it doesn't look too hard. But it was very steep, so steep that if you if you miss your takeoff, you're most likely going to fall down the the whole the whole way, you know. And uh, and that's what happened. I inflated my glider, but it the line stayed, made some nuts, you know. It stayed tangled a little bit in the rocks, and and then when it, when the glider came above my head, I felt some pressure, but not enough. Mm. But you know the typical situation where you think, okay, no problem, I jump in and and it's going to fly anyway. It, it might take a few seconds, but it will fly. Sure. But it didn't because the wind was sketchy and and it, did, it never flew, and so I fell down. But I I felt uh, first. I think I felt eight meters or six meters. I crashed, and then I jumped over the rocks and then fell down. And there I could see 150 or maybe 200 meters of steep rocks. You know, I was I was gonna. I really I had the time to think. Okay, this is it. You know, and and you know what I thought? It's a little bit crazy to say that, but I thought, hey, no worries, it's not gonna hurt because I I remember from the last crash, it didn't really hurt. You know, at the moment you crash, the light goes off, basically strong and so violent that. And I remember thinking that when I saw the the the, the fall I was gonna, you know, go through. I, I thought, okay, this is not gonna hurt. That's it, you know. And um, and then my ladder got, my lines got tangled in the rocks, and uh, all my right side, uh, yeah, all the right lines of the gliders, um, of the glider broke, and so I only had lines on my left side. And the left uh, riser was was still. Uh, holding me and so I, I hit the rock really hard with my foot and I only broke my foot but it was no it was nothing in regards of the, the whole situation you know right yeah so um, but it, it sounds it, like a little bit of luck there too yeah and it, it took two hours two two and a half hours for the helicopter to come and what is a little bit crazy is that it it was the same helicopter than a year before. Ah, you're kidding. <laughs> I know, oh no, my goodness. No. Was, and, and, I, and they said, do you want to go to Belinzona or Lugano? And I said, okay, <laughs> let's go to Belinzona because I, I have friends there. So I arrived there and uh, yeah, they, it, it sounds crazy, but I had the same Red Bull hat. I had the same clothing. <laughs> I had my backpack with me and they recognized me, you know, because I, I made some good friends there. I stayed quite a long time. So, and uh, they used to call me the Iron Man because when I crashed, I, I broke all my bones, but I, I was kind of okay. And uh, so they were like, oh, the Iron Man is back. <laughs> I felt it, it. I felt really stupid, to be honest. But but at the same time, you know, it's, uh, you know, it can happen. And, and this time, this time, uh, blame is on me. Like, really, um, I, I should have found a better spot but you know you know how the x ups is you know yeah. and that day Ferdi landed he was sixth at the end of the day and i think we would have done this flight together i mean, I mean it was the the, the plan so yeah. uh, but yeah. you never know and I, I didn't i didn't look too much for the for the results i was really there for the game and the, the adventure so yeah it louise tapper is the was the supporter for nick nanan's yeah. uh, team new zealand and i think you've already answered this question but he wanted to know um you know would you are, will you do it again you've already said you're really excited to do it again so i think we already know that but mm-hmm. um and and would you would you do it if you weren't a red bull athlete was this something you'd be you know attracted to and wanted to do regardless yeah i think it's uh it's for me. It's the, the the old adventure. I think there's a few things. It's that the Excels has been evolving so much. Um, 
the first time I was 21 years old and I remember I went to the McDonald's the, the first evening to get dinner, you know, yeah. <laughs> and it was, it was, it was like this, you know, I, I listened to the podcast of Nescale and, and those guys and it was, it was exactly that, you know, we would arrive there the adventure. and we, we, we would, we were arriving a day before the start kind of, you know, and there was nothing like now, it, now it's so well organized and everything is so um, professional and, and the people approach it very professionally. But at, the, but at the time, I was sleeping in the back of my car. I had a 1,000 euro budget for the whole trip. Jeez. And uh, we were only eating pasta three times a day. My supporter was on holidays. I, I told my supporter, yeah, come on. It was a good friend of mine. I said, man, we will have a great time. You can fly. You can enjoy. You can visit the places we go and stuff. So I would see him like one or twice per day. You know, it was it was it's so different and uh, we would go always by teams like I would always join the French or the Germans or the Austrian and we would go together I, w- I would really if someone was 5k in front he would give you a call and say hey I wait for you we go together and it was really mm. more uh, more friendly not, not a friendly competition because people were still pushing quite a lot and we didn't have time limits so we were pushing yeah. by night so sure. But it was different. What, I, what I'm trying to say is that it's 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 so it's getting faster and it's getting more interesting and I, I'm each time more and uh, and I still see that my level is getting I'm getting better at it. I get I have more experience, um, so I still think I have something to do. And also, I never made it to Monaco, which I think this year would have been a really good year to make it to Monaco. But uh, I never made it to Monaco, so I really have to finish this. Yeah, yeah, it's I you know, I've reflected a lot. I'm actually working on a book about the X Alps and I'd like to hear about your book that you just published as well, but it's uh you know, this mm-hmm. was my was my first one and and it was uh I, you know, I have been very fortunate to have a lot of incredible experiences in my life and have done, you know, oh, you did great, a lot huh? of expeditions and it, god, it was fun. <laughs> it was just yeah, an outrageous good time. Going to come again? <laughs> It was just an outrageously good time. It was just uh, yeah. so much but fun, you, you know. You will, you will do it again. You you want to? Yes, oh for sure. You know, yeah. we were right. on the way up to the Geisberg day one. Uh, you know, Ben, my kind of ground supporter, my my trainer, he came down from the top to bring me some water and some goo and stuff. And and from there on the way up, we were already talking about the second one. The whole the whole time <laughs> through, we were talking about the second one. You know, and I I think what's 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 really exciting for for us is it is it team is because we were rookies we made so many mistakes you know and and they were all completely forgivable mistakes they were mistakes that we knew we would make and you know like Mm -hmm. i didn't have the right maps on my phone and we we made we made a lot of you know a lot pretty much all the mistakes were 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 mostly mistakes i made in the air but also just uh rushing you know, and, and that's what, what that was one of the pieces of advice you gave me before the race is, you know, don't rush, don't rush. And, yeah. and that even with everybody telling me that we still rushed. And when we would rush, you know, my, my best day was the day after your injury as well. I, I landed, I got mm-hmm. caught in the valley winds and landed about 10 K. What a flight. Huh? And, yeah. And, and, <laughs> I was in the hospital looking at your, at your track. Huge was like, day. Whoa. That, that was a big day, you know, and it, yeah, but it was, well. again, it was the only day. It was one of the, uh, the day other than the first day where oh. I flew well because I was rested you know I landed that day yeah. and my, my feet were annihilated and Bruce wanted me to rush off because Ferdy and all those guys were just in front of me and I said no I, I'm gonna sleep yeah. I'm gonna take care of my feet and and we're gonna thrash those guys tomorrow because I'm gonna fly straight through where they all went up around the big sea and you know and it, it was kind of like if it, it'll work and we'll be a hero move or it won't work and we'll be done and but either way it'll be fun <laughs> and 
and so it worked and we got lucky but... no but you, you did great you know before the the Adriatic Circle I was at Paul Gushelbauer's place and his dad said to me if you want to be fast you have to go slow you know yeah and I, exactly. I kind of like the saying you know it's like and, and in, in the exalts it's it's totally it is you know like if you see guys like Ferdi for example uh, Ferdinand van Skelven from Holland is a He's just really thinking about the next move and doing his own thing, and it works and it pays yeah. off. You know, when yeah. people are, I was, I was the first three or four days. I was with the French guys and uh, um, one of the youngest one also, and, and he yeah. was uh, he was pushing so much. He was running all day. He was running. Yeah. But uh, but in the evening I was with him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so isn't that like, funny? And he would be destroyed. So and you, yeah, it's it's just you have to really. It's it's a very strategical race and really complicated and it's um, it's so good. At the same time, it's um, I think this year was a really special year because it was very dangerous for everyone. Yeah. Um, I, I think we all agreed on that the conditions were not really the best conditions we could have and, and we were flying in very crazy conditions. I remember the day I flew to Brenta, I, I had a really good flight that day and when I landed, I thought, okay, I left them behind for sure. You know, I was yeah. flying with 10 other guys and I thought... With this kind of flying, with the risk I took, I left them behind for sure. And then they came and they landed one after the other. Wow. And and I thought this is crazy, you know, yeah. the level is going so high. Yeah. And but it's interesting and it's nothing like people would look at it, they are in front of the computer and they think, Oh, I would have gone there or because it's this or the, this face or this but they, I, I think people don't really realize um, what we're going through with the wind and the valley winds and the conditions that we encounter yeah, on you the know, way. That, so. the, the... What I always call my big day, day eight, the day after you got hurt when I went from, yeah. from Bellinzona to Orsier, you know, across uh, the Matterhorn. At one point that day, I was with uh, Powell, the, 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 uh, no, sorry, I was with the Polish pilot. Um, yeah. Yeah. Powell. Powell. And, yeah. Uh, and I realized, my God, you know, I've, been flying all day i haven't seen one recreational pilot you know in, in huh. one of the most busy places to fly in, in switzerland and, and then i realized yeah. you know because it was such hard work that day it was there was so much wind and i think that when people look at it from the outside and they see us doing these big flights they think oh it must be you know it must be really nice but i, I you know most of the days you know the, the first day being the major exception were not days that i would choose to go fly a paraglider they'd be days i'd go True. mountain biking yeah. or something Thing, you know it was yeah. that was really interesting we had a long conversation and i don't want to get too much off off base here with your talk but it, you know i it was a re- i had a really interesting talk in monaco the first the night i got in with with uh-huh. duragati and paul and and petio and you know duragati was shaking when he was talking about his trip he was he was yeah. really you know and he he's he's crazy i trained with him in the spring i mean he he's a really skilled acro pilot and, yeah, he, and, uh, really well. and he pushes really yeah. hard and he flew on a day that i would have never flown when we were training near near his house in it actually was in switzerland but it's just across just okay. before the, the the turn point in st moritz and it was windy it was horrific and and he launched and i thought god i, I don't and it really scared me because i don't i thought i don't think i would launch in this in the race either mm-hmm. you know and yeah. but uh you know he had we all had we all had a scary very scary calls and i think the outside world maybe they they can see that but i i think that uh you know it's it's one of these it's a it's an incredible race because you have to continually push that line and i think like you said if you're in the right 
frame of mind you know before the race i had uh, several weeks when i was yeah. there training i wasn't in that frame of mind i was flying well but but i you know when things would happen it was, i was constantly looking at my glider going oh shit what was that what was that you know whereas mm-hmm. yeah. it, it suddenly in the race you get more in the flow and, and when that stuff happens you're like like you say you look at your glider and go come on is that all you got Let's, you yeah know. <laughs> i think it's also because we're we're flying and we're really so tired mm-hmm. and i i think sometimes we don't realize anymore how dangerous it is like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not saying that we're not focused but the thing is, when you've slept four hours and walk 35k in the morning before takeoff, it's it's we're there, but not not as much as if you had a good breakfast, a good night, uh, if you were on radio with your friends and stuff. You know, it's. Um, but at the same time, you, what what I think is what is amazing with these exhausts is that it gives you, it shows you the possibility and what is possible to do with paraglider. I would never thought that it was possible to fly so much in the lee side, for example, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and cover distance with very strong winds and things like that. And it's uh, it's interesting, and you see that actually paragliding is, is capable of amazing, uh, amazing things, and it's uh, it's interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think it's a very good way to, to learn, and uh, I think for all of us it's... Uh, such a cool a cool event and and yeah to answer your question i think i'll go again and even even if i was not sponsored by red bull anymore i would really want to to take part and and be there for sure yeah well, let's let's switch gears. Another another question that came through by a, a gentleman named Thorlak from from Norway. He he really wants to go to Greenland next summer and fly. And it sounds like maybe he doesn't have, uh, you know, a whole lot of hours. And so he wanted me to ask you. You know, you have flown all across Africa and Pakistan, and uh, mm-hmm. you flew over Victoria Falls, and then you flew paramotors in the Marquesas. Uh, and so I want to ask you what's next with your search projects. But when you go to all these different places how do you he wanted to know how do you get over your fears of flying a new place because some of these places are are obvious and some are not you know some some you don't you don't know the line you know when i did mm-hmm. the trip with will uh last year across the canadian rockies we had no idea what was yeah. in, in, ahead of us so how do you how do you approach that side of the game I've, you know it's interesting it's a very good question because i think we're we have been educated to get there you know to get to a, um, a flying site um, to get to to check the windsock to talk with other pilots about dangers around and things like that and so people who've only they've only been doing that you know they've only known um this kind of flying of course for them it's really hard to understand that we just go to any mountain take off and go you know mm-hmm. um but at the end it's a little bit also what we do in the exiles you know and you realize that this is what it's made for a paraglider is just to you know and you you get there you check the mountain and you think okay the wind is coming from that direction it should be clean to launch there let's go and and with the time and the experience i realized that most of the time it works and even when you think it would he would not work you know um having said that of course it's it's important to analyze the weather to analyze the conditions to analyze the place uh, to try to talk to local pilots and stuff but really like if you have a few a little bit of skills you you should be able to improvise and we've been doing that the whole way when we were in africa we never almost never flew on a official takeoff or official uh, flying site um and at the end it works and i think it was the same for you when you do when you did your your big crossing it's just you have to improvise and you check the maps, you check Google Earth, you climb a mountain, you take off and you go. And, and this is really how I like to practice paragliding. For me, it's this feeling of having 
10 kilo on your backpack on your pack on your back and, and climb a mountain and just feel free to take off or not to uh, choose your place and I, I just love this feeling of uh, flying a place for the first time is the best feeling you can get you know and I would say to this guy if of course Greenland I know that the place can be pretty windy um, which is in a way uh, not so good but also good because if, if you know the direction of the wind and if you can really um, analyze where it comes from how strong and stuff then you can think okay this face will work this won't work this is in the lee side and at the end, it's a very simple game, you know. It's just taking off in in the wind, and it's it looks complicated because we are not used to it. But as soon as you start uh, improvising and going around with your glider and taking off from hills and little mountains, and then slowly, slowly, you start pushing, you realize that actually the the paraglider is is made for that. It's, it's really... it, and it's it's confidence, isn't it? You know, when you see mm. when you see videos of of you know Kriegel launching in forty mile an hour winds on steep slopes, mm-hmm. you can see that he knows he's got that move, and and that's yeah. just from hours and hours and hours of spending time on the ground. You know, I heard stories of him practicing in, in sixty kilometer an hour winds on snow, where he you know that it, just to see how much wind he can handle, and you yeah. know, not many people are willing to go do that, and uh, you know, you you see it with him. I just watching some uh, some highlight videos of the X Alps this year yesterday, and you know he went and top landed in a spot with the, that was kind of an old, it was very steep, and it was a it was a clear cut, you know, and there was all these big stumps, and he just yeah. did, you could see that he did it without thinking about it. He just did it was yep. like, yeah, I know I have that move, and you know that fly on a wall move where you like point it at the hill and land and he, I mean, yeah. he did it just so smoothly. Um, you know, I, I tried that a little bit on the, on the Canada trip and just completely botched on. I mean, if you screw that up, yeah, you're going to yeah. break your back. It's a, it's a really sure. hard move to do. And, and he just does it without, you know, it's just, it's just one of his, one of the it's, things in his toolkit, you know, it's all practice, you know, it's, it's all, all practice. practice. And, yeah. and it's, uh, at, at the end, it's, um, I always say, you know, the same is that you have to go step by step and, uh, slowly, slowly. And you start with, a a local flying site that people have talked to you about and that there is a possible takeoff and then you go there, you take off, you do your thing, you know, slowly. What's really cool is that the day you arrive, for example, in the Himalayas and, and you, you look at a mountain from far down in the valley and think, okay, I, I think it's possible to take off there and you do and you fly 100k, it's magical. I mean, it's uh, it's the most, you know, you know the feeling and it's, uh, and I and I think people should um, try to practice that more and also the it's, the paragliding schools and stuff, you know, they should bring people out, you know, because I compare it to skiing, you know, you can either ski on the piste and on the ski resort, or you can ski, um, you know, off track and, and, and go in the powder. And it's, uh, it's a totally different game, of course, but at the end, it's the same sport, you know. Mm, mm, so like it's, it's just, you just need skills, you know, and, and it's, you don't need much as, as long as you take your time and you really analyze. At the end, you sit on the mountain and if the wind is too strong, it's too strong, that's it. You know, if, the, if it's the wrong direction, it's the wrong direction. But, <clears throat> but it's, it's, it's not that complicated. And I think places like, for example, the Pyrenees or uh, the Alps, it's really the perfect place because you you have takeoff all around the Alps, you know, everywhere. Um, everywhere, yeah. I mean, on every mountain we could always find a place to take off, and you don't always need really good skills. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> so, yeah. yeah. If when you look back, uh, 
when you look back at your career, certainly your career in, in flying, have there been any kind of aha moments? Have there been any times uh, either through accidents or victories or hard times or uh, any of the in, during the search projects where you've had any kind of aha moments about what you're doing? And by aha moment, I mean uh, mm-hmm. like where you've really sorted something out or figured something out or, you know, you've just advanced to a completely new level. Yeah, I, I think you know. Well, um, in Pakistan, for example, one day I I didn't I was flying without my oxygen, and I went too high without oxygen, and I almost lost consciousness, um, and and I couldn't see anymore. Uh, that was a very close call, and I I learned a lot from that. Um, I mean, accident and big flight and very tricky situation. I I found myself I think too many times. Mm. Um, that and every time you think, okay, that was another close call um you don't know if it was a close call or if it's you uh, saying that as a dangerous i don't know really but but many times i i kind of i think reach my limit um and but but with the time i'm really more more um i'm, I'm getting wiser you know mm. and uh for example when we were in new zealand we, we crossed new zealand with Feldy and Halfway, we realized it was too dangerous. We were pushing too much. We were really on speed bar all the time, flying in very strong winds. Um, we almost crashed. One time, we actually crashed in trees. And um, it, was, it was getting too dangerous. So half, uh, halfway, we said, okay, now we have to just you know, go slow and, and take our time and only, only fly in good days. And, and, and the second half of the trip took actually half the time of the first half of the trip you know what i mean so <laughs> right. we went we went much faster I've, I've learned so many things about about this you know and but i think the difficult times is always when you when you have a big project like when i crossed the pyrenees alone um halfway i, I had really bad weather and i thought okay i'm not going to do it i don't have time anymore and you start to kind of being depressed and stuff but that's was not the worst i think for me the hardest part it's sometimes to deal with, um, you know, when you organize, for example, a crossing of Africa or a sailing boat for three months in the Pacific Islands, um, we're talking about big amount of money, you know, mm-hmm. and a lot of stress and big teams. We have two cameramen, we have one photographer, one sound, sound master, sound designer, um, you know, it's many pilots uh, and, and it's all those people that rely on you mm-hmm. and, uh, and you have you know big sponsors they're waiting for results and stuff so we had some some stressing stressful moments where we thought okay we're not going to be able to deliver because the weather is not good and this and that and uh and it comes to a totally different sport you know it's uh managing uh, trying to manage a team you know and and and, yeah it's it's, that's that's i've learned so much you know on the way um but i think the, the most also, the difficult parts, of course, were the big accidents, you know, and the friends we've lost on the way. Um, yeah, I read it. I read in your bio you lost a good friend. Do you, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I was, you know, you, we all know Antoine Montand. Sure. Um, it, it was not, it was not a, a really a good friend, but it was someone I really, um, I, I really admired. And uh, we were actually talking to about organizing a project in Pakistan together. And the plan was to fly, you know, use the paraglider to land on Virgin Mountain tops and uh, and do and speed ride down those peaks, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, that was <laughs> that was a very very, very cool plan. Yeah, and and we were talking about it and stuff, and then the accident happened, and uh, that was really hard for for me to see that. Yeah, the, 
and, and such a cool guy, you know. Yeah. But then um, I have also uh, another story of a friend I met in Nepal and we flew together for one month and learned acro together. And he made a stupid mistake. He, he decided to jump from his paraglider above the water. Um, he wanted to celebrate his, his, I think, one month there in Nepal or something like that. And he jumped and he was he was higher than he thought. You know, when you're above water, you, you never really... Um, you never really know, and uh, he did this this thing, you know, and he, in, in, yeah, he died, and so it's like we've we've seen too many accidents. Last year, when I was flying in in uh, Colombia, I was flying with Horacio, and we flew with a local, uh, I think it was a Swiss pilot, and uh, we two days later they called us and they say, oh, this guy you were flying with, well, he crashed yesterday, he's dead, you know, and it's a uh, it's always too much, you know, it's always too hard to take. And it's some of the best, you know, Matthias Rotten or uh, mm. Alejandro, the, the, the cousin of Horacio and, and uh, the brother of Raul and Felix. Those guys were really good, you know, mm. some of the best in their game. And they really knew what they were doing. And still, they're not, they're not here anymore, you know. So uh, it's, um, I think this is the, the hardest part. And, uh, and uh, I, I think, sadly, we will still, there are some other people who will go. You know? Yeah, of course. So um, I, I really hope that, uh, and, and we have to give a good example to the people who are following, and and you know by doing things with, uh, um, you know, trying to be smart in the way we practice paragliding and and not showing a bad example. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, on that on that theme, Tom, if you could if you could go back now and, and tell your fifteen year old self, if you could give your fifteen year old self some advice, what would it be? <laughs> that's interesting you know i i think it's uh, the more you fly the safer you are you know mm. so I, w- I would say fly more <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i would really i would i would have i would i would tell him to go more into acrobatics because mm. i know that for many of the pilots out there uh, they all think that acro is dangerous and uh or many people think that acrobatic is dangerous but if you look at the accidents and competitions you know it's it's clear that it's cross country is more dangerous than acro. Sure. It's, uh, and and so Leaps yeah, yeah, by far. And and but 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 acro, you know, when you see when you see Raúl or Felix or Horacio or Palta Cats, when those guys fly cross country, you know, the first the first cross country flight that I did with Horacio, he, he hadn't been flying for ten years cross country, and he flew two hundred kilometer in Pakistan. <laughs> <laughs> Those guys, they know how to handle their glider. <laughs> and on the radio, he was saying, "He was saying, man, I'm, I'm not used to stay so high, you know, <laughs> because normally when I have altitude, I just burn it down, you know." Right. And, and then, and it was, um, and and because they can control, you know, and uh, and if you can control most of what happened, um, it's already, you know, you can use your your head for something else, you know, to concentrate on, on the next terminal, on the next uh, transition, on the, you don't have to be fighting with your glider all the time and you, 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 you're much safer. I've, I've seen accidents that it could have been solved if the guy could handle a, a deep, a full stall, for example, you know, sure, sure. Um, or a twist or, and sometimes you see accidents and when you look at it, you think, man, come on, just one um, SIV course and, and this guy would have been safe. Yeah. You know, so I, I think that that's what I would say, and uh, and yeah, and, and don't rush. You know, don't I rush, think yeah. what what happens as a professional pilot is that people think uh, when you go on a big traverse, like you think, okay, people are looking at us, we have to go fast and this and that, and people tend to push a lot when actually a day more or a day less, 
it makes no difference. You yeah. Know? Yeah, um, absolutely. And I, and I think people should accept that um, it's a dangerous, you know, sometimes it can be dangerous and just respect that and take time and be safer is not, um, it's not a problem. I mean, it, it, yeah, I don't know. I, it took me a long time to understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting and I'm really encouraged that you say Acro. That was literally the first thing I thought of the, the night I got into Monaco. As I said, you know, I, I, I already knew I wanted to do the X-Ops again. And I was, I'm, I'm dying to do it again already, but, mm. but uh, that was the first thing. I, I've always been really interested in Acro, but we don't have very good places to train here. And, you know, and, but I've made that too much of an excuse. I have a very good friend down in Salt Lake who's, you know, now tumbling and he's become very proficient and he's getting ready mm-hmm. to go and so he and I are going to train all winter and and I, I but I thought that nice. that was my first takeaway was that you know for me to do this safely it, it's it's like when people people should not participate in cross country if they don't have SIV a current SIV yeah. under their belt I, I, I get angry totally about agree. that you know like it's just you just you're really that's really not something you should do it's just too dangerous you know and if you have SIV you have the confidence and, and like you say you, you know you can get out of bad situations very fast i had to full stall my glider mm-hmm. three times coming out of the uh, the matterhorn uh and i was quite low you know i didn't really yeah. have the time to do it but but uh you know i i had to reset and uh and i, I think that and this isn't a pat on the back it's just you know I yeah think, exactly I think if you're willing, it makes the whole difference do that you, you have to be yeah. willing you got to have those tools you know and i think experience makes the whole difference of it course. does yeah. of course yeah and it, it can make a yeah and it's a broken leg or nothing you know like, yeah <laughs> or a crash or you you you're safe and and also it makes you fly much better because you feel safer you understand that a paragliding can actually handle quite a lot you know mm-hmm. when you get really turbulent you you know what what it can be done what cannot be done and i think that this is the basic mm-hmm. and and also i would say um if if i was uh, like 15 years old or if i was talking to 50 years old pilot they say don't rush too fast on on the gliders and because people would say yeah but i need a d glider or i need a prototype or i need this or i need that when actually you see most of the pilots who fly out there um they don't do many days and they don't use the full potential of the glider mm. you know and and i see i have a really good example about that when i we went to brazil with with Horacio um and with uh, the owner of gradient and at the time he was he was coming out uh, the the big ladder the Nevada was coming out, and uh, Andre said, "Okay, let's take Nevada and fly in Brazil." And we were like, "What? Uh, we're not flying big. We need better gliders. This and that." And yeah. so finally he agreed and said, "Okay, take the C glider. The the Aspen it's, uh, it's it flies better. It flies faster. This and that." And then we flew every day with with Andres, and every day he flew longer than us. He flew a bigger distance mm. <laughs> with his Nevada. Right. <laughs> so right. it's like after after all, you know, we thought okay, we, we felt a little bit ridiculous. Yeah, well, he's he's an amazing pilot. He's really good, mm. but um, but still, it was interesting to see. And and I think at the end, it's not only about the glider. Of course, the glider makes a big difference. But I think people are taking risk by flying gliders that they don't really uh, control, you know. Mm, that's great. Yeah. Well, that, that this is a perfect segue because one of the other questions was how do you choose your glider? You know, they, the, one of the questions that came through was that, that a guy named Tom Slipe and a good friend of mine from, from Canada, um, you know, he really wanted me to talk about my choice for flying the Ice Peak 7. You know, I, uh-huh. I planned on flying the Peak 3 and the X-Alps and changed very last minute, went to the, yeah. you know, a standard weight. It wasn't a lightweight glider, but he wanted 
wanted me to ask you that, that, you know, most of the people in the XOPS choose, uh, you know, to downgrade, uh, not by down, downgrade is not the right mm-hmm, word, but yeah. to choose to fly a safer glider uh, for the XOPS. And that was the advice that was given to me. Um, I just felt like my, my choice was, was, was really due to the fact that the the peak three is a terrifically uh yeah. manageable wing uh, but it's it doesn't do very well to wind and i knew that we'd be flying it looked like we were going to be flying quite a bit of wind which we did uh, and, yeah. and you know and i wanted that bar performance and then just personally for me i really really enjoy the feeling of a two-liner i i don't feel like and i've written about this in blogs but i don't feel mm-hmm. like i'm upping my risk if you have the hours you know and that's the big difference if you have the hours and you feel confident, then I feel like these gliders are safe. But you know, as we saw in the in the in the Sierras a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, I I see the Enzo two these these CCC gliders, and I was flying the Ice Peak eight, which isn't really any different. Um, yeah. You know, they they are incredibly hard to recover. They are they just flatly are incredibly dangerous gliders, um, and okay. you have to be flying incredibly uh, well and confidently. And even then, they're still pretty dangerous gliders. But talk to me about glider choice. And you know, as I, I yeah. had an interesting thing, in, you know, in Canada, I flew the Peak three, and and Will was on the Carrera, which is a really sweet. I mean, that thing goes like a bat out of hell. It's impressive. Um, but, you know, that, that made me think a lot about it because the only time I could really shake him, and we were never trying to shake one another, we were trying to stay together, but was when yeah. there was wind and we were going to wind. I just had a little bit more performance. But um, it, it, that combined with, you know, the when I flew my big flight here, I was also on the Peak 3, uh, and people have said, God, I wonder what you would have done if you had you been on an ice peak. And, and I've always claimed that I don't think I would have gone as far because mm. – you know, it was it was a very turbulent day. I, I had flown a big day the day before. I'd only had about three hours sleep, and so I was kind of tired. I was kind of like you feel like in the X-Ops where you're just flying on autopilot. Yeah. And had I had a wing that was more to handle, I think I would have done worse. So that makes my yeah. my, my decision to fly the ice peak in the X-Ops interesting because, of course, we're really tired. But I, I, for me, it was definitely the right choice now had i been hurt or something then of course we'd be saying something differently but um anyway I'd no, like i think thoughts on this i think it's interesting i think there, there's different things that you have to think about like first of all is that what is it for like is it for uh you know long distance or is it for adventure or is it for uh you know is it the place is the place where you're gonna fly very windy or not you know and i think for me what i really wanted for this time for this x alps is a, a very fast glider I wanted to because I knew like basically in the Alps you're flying against the wind all the time um, especially when you go from east to west and and so I thought okay I need a glider that goes fast and uh, and we had this discussion with Gradient and and we talked about it before and stuff so I when I when I um, read your story and you when I remember re- you uh, writing about uh, you have to choose a glider um, makes the, like which makes you feel like Superman. <laughs> <laughs> it it made me sm- smile at the time. I thought this is a really cool uh, point of view. But at the same time, I was like, "Whoa, okay." It's actually it's it's all compromised, you know. For example, in in this case, okay, you have more speed, you have more glide, but it's probably more difficult to land in in small places on the road somewhere. Mm-hmm. It's more difficult to take off because you have a two liner. Maybe you break a line. It's very thin lines. This and that. It's heavier, you know, mm. uh, to carry. Imagine if you had had uh, ten days of rain, then you will be 
you'll be thinking, oh, I should have taken the other one. The, those two extra kilos, it's a lot. It's a big difference. It's a big so, difference. It really is. It, uh, that, it, that, that part was the worst part. <laughs> so, you know, it's, uh, it's really, at the end, it's all about compromise. And there's not one good, um, you know, there's not one best choice, I would say. Um, but in this case, for example, the, the glider I had, is, it's fast. It's very easy to control. It's clean. I wanted to have something that is clean, you know, mm. uh, that I can that that okay that can be a little bit aggressive, but uh, I, that at least I understand why, you know. Mm. But w- where I totally agree with you is I think that speed is safety. Yeah. Um, so many times that when you're flying, you know, those typical moments where you're flying backwards and you push the speed bar and you're not really sure and you don't have speed and this is for me the most dangerous situations. Mm-hmm. Um, I really prefer to to have a glider that goes fast than a glider that, you know, even if it does collapse a little bit here and there, um, speed is a major concern for me. So uh, I would say speed. But also for me, especially in bivouac flying, it has to be as light as possible. Uh, but again, we have different approach. I mean, for example, when you did uh, the crossing, the traverse, you did everything by flying. Um, when actually we we also hike and, and walk, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you start thinking about okay, it has to be as light as possible, as light as possible, as light as possible. Um, and and then when you know that it's not about being, I, I prefer to try to stay one hour more flying, you know, because I can, because I'm not so tired, because I didn't fly a technical glider, you know, than the opposite way. So I, it's it's very difficult. But I would say now I feel so confident with this glider that I have now. It's the the Avax XC5, that it's a really good compromise for for everything. Uh, of course, it wouldn't fly as much as the best competition glider, I think, mm-hmm. uh, because it's uh, it's it's a D glider. It's not the highest level, mm-hmm. um, but uh, but it does so well. And when I was flying in, in the Adriatic Circle, I was so amazed by the speed. And what I think that that's something interesting. I think it's a, also when you fly acro, you're you used to to you know fly thermals with eighteen meter mm-hmm. uh, gliders. Mm-hmm. And I, I would always say, people say, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit above my above the limit and, uh, you know, it's uh, it's not the best because this and that. And it kind of makes me laugh because at the end, you know, I, I, I always say, you know, a thermal is a thermal. Um, when you can go up with your glider, you can go up with an acro glider. And when you see those, for example, uh, the Nivuk Skin or the Ozone uh, Ultralight, um, I was flying with them in Annecy, and and they they climb in thermals, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. So, yeah, and, and I mean, of course, if you if you're thinking about up, trying to optimize all the time, you know, of course you'll get better results with your glider if you're in the middle range and stuff. But if you're um, a little bit heavier or in the high end of the the, the weight limit, um, you'll fly faster. You have a smaller turn. Uh, the the glider will react better. It'll be stronger in turbulence. So for me, it's I like to fly my my gliders and and being heavy on it. Mm. Uh, but that's that's personal. But uh, this is how I like it. Yeah. Tom, a, a current theme we've been getting in the podcast is uh, you know from guys that have been at the game a long time like you have is they've they've all talked about times where they've gone through uh, you know a period where they're where they're not flying as confidently and they've had to you know 
wind things back, either going back to a B from a comp glider or a C or uh, or just finding how to make it fun again, because it's really, if it's not fun, we, sh- we really shouldn't be doing it. It's too dangerous. Um, yeah. Have you gone, other than you said there was a couple days at the beginning when you came back to the Ad- Adriatic uh, expedition with Paul that you were definitely really not in the zone, and then but you quickly found it. Have you had mm-hmm. other times like that? And, and if you have, how have you approached it? Yeah, I think, you know, um, some when I started uh, flying in Pakistan, the first year I was I was following Raman, and Raman was a much better pilot than I, than I was at the time. So for me, it was kind of hard to follow him, you know, like, uh, because he was, he was better, he, he knew better, he was a better pilot, he had more experience. I was, you know, you have to imagine a 22 or 23-year-old guy, uh, that has uh, some experience flying mountains and stuff, but you get to Pakistan and you get to fly at 7,000 meter high and uh, with one of the best pilots in the world. So for me, it was very impressive. Hmm. Um, and at the time, I was flying a safer glider. I was I, I was actually always choosing to take a B glider instead of a C glider, and I was taking my you know I was being more careful. Um, and and then I think it's uh, slowly, slowly I start to trust him. You know, and uh, and say okay, if he does it, I can do it too, <laughs> which which is not always true. But, uh, <laughs> but I thought okay, and and I start to take confidence. But I, no, I I don't I don't think I've um, ever really gone backward. Really, like uh, I've I've thought a few times. Okay, now it's too dangerous. Or sometimes I need a few days. You know, when you haven't flown for a month, you need a few days to come back into it. Uh, in smooth conditions, and but what what I think is that there's there's days that you are in the zone, as you call it, and days that you're not, and you have to accept that some days you're not, mm-hmm. and uh, and and one day when I was I was actually flying into the the Baltoro glacier, um, and with Ramon, and he turned back because he thought it was not the day, and then I I kind of flew away and did my flight. And it was kind of a day where I um, I started to fly by myself, you know. Mm. Uh, after two years, uh, three years actually in a row that I went to Pakistan uh, with Raman or with Horacio or with those guys, um, that day I decided, okay, that's it. This is my day. I, I had a good feeling for him, for it and Raman didn't have a good feeling for it. And there I went and it was, you know, you started uh, a little bit later with many good friends around you and stuff and you were not really... But but for me, I was young and I was looking up, you know, to those mm. guys, mm. and I was learning everything. Everything that I learned, I learned it from them. Um, but one day, I had to fly away, you know, or mm. get out of the nest, if I can say. Sure. And, it, and it happened. It happened in Pakistan and in the worst possible place. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and, because, and and I I flew to I flew to the K two that day, almost to the K two. I, I was ten k's away from K two. Um, Alone, and I landed in on a glacier at the end of the day at 4,600 meter high, uh, and I had to. I mean, it was crazy. I had to cross the the um, which is which is, is almost 6,000 meter high with my gear and my glider and everything. And for two days, they didn't they didn't know where I was, and I was so cool. I I loved it. I, I thought you know it was for for me the best you know the best moment of my life as as a paragliding pilot to really. Um, not take my freedom, you know, but start to fly by myself and and do my own thing, you know, and 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 do it well. But then, but then uh, I, I, we had very, um, you know, 
in the Marquesas Island, for example, um, Horacio crashed into the sea. Yeah, I love that video. That's terrific. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and the video is smooth. You know, like the video is, uh, we, we've been, uh, you know, it was much more radical than that. Actually. Yeah, yeah. But no, landing it, in the ocean is, uh, is not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. Man. But the, the moment like this when you realize it was a close call and, you, and, and your best friend is out there, you know, and you think, well, um, we are so small. And I, I love that with paragliding also is to realize that it's a, it's a very big lesson of, of humility. You know, it's, uh, I compare it to sailing and I you know much more about that uh, than me, but it's, uh, you feel like you're nothing when you're in, in the middle of the ocean or when you're really high out there in the mountains of Pakistan or even in the Alps or any mountain in the world. You, you can, as, as soon as you're a little bit out there in a remote area, you feel like you're so small. And that's actually what we are. We are very small and we just have to, we're just playing there, you know, and we have to respect the place and, and, and then maybe the mountain will, uh, you know, bring us back home, you know, kind of. And, and it's, a, it's a very, you have to be very humble uh, practicing your sport. I think it's, a, it's, people tend to look way too much about the kilometers and the altitude and the whole you know you you land somewhere and people will say 146 minutes and this is my longest flight when at the end of the day you know uh, numbers or ranking or it doesn't really matter you know what matters is to is to enjoy the sport the way you want to enjoy it uh, have a good time uh, not risk your life you know and uh, and and be a whole pilot at the end you know mm. that's the, the best thing i can say and and for us, it, it, it's been for quite long, um, it's been about numbers. Like, I've, I've, you know, I, I was calculating not long ago, uh, Rebel Adventure asked me how many kilometers I've had done in, in bivouac flying, and I'm almost at 10,000 kilometers um, with, with all the Ixalts and the Pyrenees and the New Zealand and, and all those mountain ranges. And I never actually counted, but, but I remember that I, for me, it, it felt important to do 900k or 1000k yeah, or yeah. that. And now it makes it, it feels to me that it makes it's not important at all. What it's important is to to enjoy the way, to have a great time, to have to share good moments with your friends, uh, to come back with great stories, and and also I think we have a, a, it's a small responsibility, but it's a really cool one is to to kind of um, uh, how would you say. Um, Try to push people to get out of their comfort zone, and, and it's not for everyone. But uh, but it's so cool when someone sends you a message and say, "Hey, uh, you inspired me doing this crossing, and now I, I'll do it myself." And do you have any advice? And then then a few weeks later, you see them on Facebook; they're doing it. You know, it's so cool. It's just, it's, I love it. You know, and I and I know I know that. Uh, People are looking uh, also, you know, at you, and they they say, "Wow, this this traverse they did, and it's my dream to do that one day." And then they they go and they do it, and they don't have to do it like we do it. Or, but uh, but it's so cool um, mm. that actually at some point someone will get inspired, maybe, and and go out there and uh, and and for some people it's a life changing experience. Also, you know, to do a bivouac crossing or to, so it's. Um, I think it's it's cool, and now the technology it's so amazing. I mean, it can be Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or whatever, what you know. But it's so easy to be out there and at the same time communicate with the with the followers, and uh, and it's so it gives you so much uh, motivation to mm. you know keep pushing. Yeah, yeah. When, you, 
yeah. you don't, and people send you messages and stuff, and then you keep pushing. It's it's so good. I love the you know the doing that trip of course with Will was just, just such a life moment because it, when you talk about records and, and when you know if I was a better sound engineer or podcast interviewer we would have just ended it right there that was the most beautiful five minutes I've ever heard <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> no, thank you but but it was uh, you know I I loved Will's perspective really shifted all of that for me because when we first started talking about doing it, because it was Red Bull, of course, it had to be a record. You know, it had to be mm-hmm. something yeah. bigger and longer than anybody had ever done. And so when I proposed it to Will, at first it was going to be to start where we did up near Bride or McKenzie and fly all, you know, we had to get all the way to Jackson in, in, or, in order for it to be, you know, bigger than the Adriatic. Yeah. You know, it had to be big. And uh, and and Will just right away, you know, the first time I talked to him, I'd, I'd, ne- I've, I'd never met Will at that point point of course i knew all about him and he was a legend yeah. he was winning stuff before i even knew what paragliding was but and he just said gavin i'm not interested in that whatsoever you know i did the x alps i hated it i'm not a backpacker people have already backpacked the rockies you know i'm a pilot yeah. and i want to fly it and the only way to do this in in style um is to, it, because we can't really walk it anyway there's the rivers are too big the the terrain is too gnarly um, yeah. you know so we have to to fly it and you know when you look at the distance it was it was 700k it took us over a month uh you know it's not this is not a big distance and mm-hmm. uh but you know we took our time and we and we you know when the weather wasn't good for flying we sat there and looked at the mountains and walked around and it was just it was exquisite and and i i love his line at the end of the the movie was you know he said you know what we've just done is you know it's it's incredible and and where can you where in the world can you do this? And he leaves it kind exactly. of hanging for a second. And he goes, and the answer is everywhere. You yeah. know, the answer is that we have barely touched the surface. And I, I love that about where we are with this sport, you know, and it's been, it's been really amazing to see, you know, how, where you've pushed it and, in all the different places you've gone. And, you know, I, and I think it, it is really inspiring and it's really inspiring to, um, mm. for people that are just getting into the sport and people that are in the sport to realize that we have barely touched the surface. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, it's, it's a world of possibilities. I, you know, I, I remember when we crossed New Zealand with Feldies, when we arrived at the end, we, we were at the very last mountain and we could have flown down to, to Nelson. And then we look at each other and thought, now oh, let's let's make it last a little bit longer, you know. And so we landed on top of that mountain and slept there. And bad luck for us, the next day was shitty, and we had to walk all the way to the coast. <laughs> but but anyway, it was it was you know for the whole distance, we had been thinking about that moment when we would get to Nelson, and when we got there, we thought we just want to go back to the mountains, you know. Yeah. So spending more time is enjoying more actually. And um, and and it's not about the distance or the timing, or it's about the, the what you learn on the way. And and what is cool, I think, in adventure and the world, the world adventures is most of the time is a little bit overused, you know. Like, uh, of course. But 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 when you do get to some real adventure, some moments, and and you learn so much about yourself and about your friends, and um, you know, it's when you get in very difficult situation with your best friend out there, and you have to help each other to make it out, and it's so rich, you know, mm-hmm. and it's so intense that when you come back home and you're, I'm, I'm here in Belgium and then, uh, oh, okay, it's normal to have uh, hot water and uh, shower. It's normal to open the fridge and have food every, you know, when you get it. makes you appreciate it, doesn't it? It makes you appreciate it so much. And it takes, it takes only two to three days to not appreciate it anymore. You know what I mean? So you, it, it's, it's things we take for granted. 
the more well, actually, you do, the more you want too. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the problem with what we do. <laughs> that's the problem. But it, but it, it, what you said earlier is that you can do it everywhere. It's true. Like I, my dream now is to make one of the search projects that I really want to make is search search in Europe and search in the States because those places, you know, still it has huge potential and pushing it in the Dolomites or pushing it in the in the Pyrenees or pushing it in countries like, for example, uh, Macedonia or uh, Croatia or Romania, you know, there's still so much to discover. Um, and I heard too many times in, in conferences people saying, yeah, but for you it's easy because you have big sponsors and this ah, and that. Bullshit. And, you know, what I say is that you don't need to be an adventurer to take your tent and take off from your local site, land on the mountaintop, sleep there, have dinner and fly down in the next morning. And that's already a small adventure, you know. Mm. And and I, I would really push people to do things like that yeah yeah i couldn't agree more well tom i i know you're incredibly busy and uh i i could i could talk to you all day man this is, this is just fantastic <laughs> i think the i think our listeners are really going to enjoy this one but why don't we wrap it up because we're almost an hour and a half in and yeah. and uh before we go though a, a couple things if you'd like to give a shout out to your to your sponsors and also how can people contact you because i know that um you know one of the things that i have really appreciated about you over the years is just your accessibility and your 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 passion really comes across and you know as I was really getting into this you were real valuable to me in terms of just sharing your stoke and I know you're you're totally good with that with people getting in touch with you so how can people find you and and uh, who would you like to thank yeah well um well I'd like to thank you know most of all my my closest friends you know it's it's interesting because my sponsors have become my really good friends you know mm. uh, I'm, I'm thinking about uh, jacob from red bull or mac from volkswagen or nico at, at garmin you know those guys they really they understood what we're doing you know mm. um it's one of the very first one and and one of my really good friends is also andre from from gradient uh of course the guys at super i mean i could name all of them you know but it's uh, I'm, I'm not really into the commercial uh type of uh you know naming sponsors and stuff but mm. but they will recognize themselves but what i think is that uh you know what is interesting is that it's it's not about uh, money anymore you know it's uh good friends that understood that we're doing something and we still have a lot to do and that's really that's amazing that i i see that we didn't reach the full potential yet you know in terms of project and things that can be done so it's it's very exciting um and to join me i mean really i, I always say that to people but just don't hesitate you know um it, it's you can do it by email on my website it i, I directly uh, answer my emails or on facebook you know and uh, uh, just don't be scared i mean i i remember when i met guys like raul and like ramon and i thought well those guys they but actually they're we're all human and we're all very especially in the parkland community you know we're all really easy going i mean it's uh i know that if i have some advice to ask you i'll give you a call and you you'll spend an hour and, and i think that's how it has to be so i'm happy to play my part in in this situation also and so yeah just don't don't hesitate if you Great. guys need to to contact me, I'll be there. Fantastic. And, and then just finally, Tom, what's the name of your book? And uh, congratulations on, on just publishing that book. And uh, where can people find that? Yeah, well, this, this book is actually only in French at the moment. But uh, it's a very good opportunity to learn French. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's a book we made with uh, with uh, with a bank here in Belgium, and it's it's about all the links between the uh, entrepreneurship and, um, and, and the adventure. You know, being an entrepreneur is being an adventurer. And uh, and so it's uh, it's all my little stories and what I've learned on the way. 
Okay. Um, and the, the book is called uh, La création de l'aventure la, de la création de l'entreprise. Great. Um, we'll, um, we'll look yeah. forward to that in, in, in English, maybe. And, and like you said, it's yeah. a good excuse for me to bone up on my French. <laughs> Tom, thank you very, very much. I really thank appreciate you for that. Your time. Thank you. that an amazing talk i really enjoyed that one i could have talked to tom for hours and hours longer uh we might have to do a, a second episode with him here at some point uh please uh leave a comment in the feedbacks there under in the feedback space under the uh, cloudbasedmayhem.com uh, where you'll find that podcast and more uh, you can also find these on stitcher or itunes love to have you put a rating on there if you enjoyed this uh, as always, uh, all we ask for is a buck a show, uh, following the footsteps of Dan Carlin's Hardcore History, a podcast that I am completely addicted to. Uh, instead of sponsorship, what we're doing is just asking you to, if you've enjoyed it, if you've got something out of it, uh, give us a buck. People have been super generous. Our listeners have been super generous in the past. Thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it. Many people have asked where you do do that donation. Uh, if you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, of course, you don't have the links. But if you go to my website, cloudbasedmayhem.com, You'll find all the podcasts there, and in each of the podcasts, there's a link for a donate button. Really appreciate it. It allows me to buy these guys beers and dinners when I see them, uh, and uh, you know, covers a lot of my time. I will continue doing it. I love doing it. I love dispensing all this knowledge. Uh, I'm obviously getting a great education myself. It's been a lot of fun, and I uh, got some great shows coming up for you. I'm sitting down tonight with Josh Cohn, the Josh Bot. That's going to be a great talk. So I'll have that up next week. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. See you on the next one. Cheers.